I would like to warn you that this episode of Off the Watch List is spoiler-filled. So, if you've seen the movie, or you just don't care, welcome to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Off the Watch List, a podcast about the movies that we have no excuse for missing. My name is Luke. My name is Sophia. And what did you watch this week, Sophia? I watched The Truman Show. I first watched The Truman Show when I was eight years old in Alaska with my dad's side of the family. I didn't remember the name of it or anything for a really long time, but this movie mentally and emotionally traumatized me from a very young age. Really? <laughs> I was, I, I, I can remember for a really long time, like through high school, having the Truman Show effect of being like... Am I actually in a TV show? <laughs> that would explain a lot. Um, you know, I like, I, I watched this. I think my mom interrupted me to ask something like halfway through the movie. And I like totally gave her a side eye. I was like, hmm. Are you really though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this. Maybe someone engineered this podcast. <laughs> so you I would have know. to watch this movie. So I would figure <laughs> The layers. <laughs> yes, I watched this movie a long, long time ago, and I hadn't seen it for a while, and I watched it maybe six, seven months ago, and I thought it was a pretty good movie to do for the podcast, because I feel like one. there's a lot to talk about in this this movie. I feel like everyone probably has the Truman Show effect if they if they seen the movie. Yeah, well, it was like a real thing. That, really? That... It was talked about by psychologists once the movie came out was there were a lot of people reported to have some sort of disassociative disorder after seeing this movie. Oh, yikes. Because they they didn't know if they were being filmed or not, which is pretty wild. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> like just one movie made everyone feel like maybe I'm in a movie Wait. too. If you haven't seen the movie, the basic premise is a guy's entire life is a television show. That's the idea. And... I can't imagine watching, like, my life as a 24-7 television show. That'd be so boring. Like, oh, look, here's Luke sitting on the couch watching a movie. Oh, he went to a Starbucks. Oh, wow, he's back on you the couch. You don't go to Starbucks. Oh, he went to a Pete's Coffee. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's back on the couch watching a movie. I can't, I can't imagine that'd be extraordinarily exciting. Hmm. There's not a lot of melodrama in my life. Maybe that's just me, though. Maybe I just lead a very nonchalant existence. I feel like mine would just be very confusing. Like, <laughs> oh, so. why is Sophia watching a YouTube video of the Titanic sinking in real time? <laughs> CGI <laughs> rendering. <laughs> For two hours. Two and a half. Oh. <laughs> in high school, I finished. I finished my AP language and composition final. <laughs> <laughs> pulled out my computer. We had like an hour left of class. I was very good at that class. So I finished quickly. And I pulled out my computer. Brag about it, why don't you? I will. And I literally sat there and watched a CGI rendering of the Titanic sinking in real time. And then I skipped to my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite part of the Titanic sinking? I really liked when the power cut out. 
because um, <laughs> it included audio. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and and so Live up until this point, you don't you don't realize, but there's kind of this white noise of of the ship engine like humming in the background, and then as soon as the power goes out, it just cuts, and it's absolutely dead silent out in the middle of the ocean, except for people like freaking out. But then you think about you know you're already unsettled because you're on the Titanic and it's sinking, but then absolute uh, silence just out of nowhere would have been like the freakiest mm. thing and and i feel like that would be the moment where you realize how alone and vulnerable you are out there wow you're spinning quite a tale here it's making me scared. welcome to our podcast about the movies we've watched <laughs> wait what day did the titanic sink <laughs> the night of april 14th into the morning of April 15th. Maybe we should release a special edition of Off the Watch List on April 15th where we talk about all the different Titanic movies. I think we should just watch the CGI rendering of the Titanic sinking <laughs> in real time. And the thing is, I wasn't... <laughs> Do a full podcast on it. <laughs> you saw it an hour and 20 minutes how, you know, the ship it moved a little bit. That was wild. Well, okay, yeah, that's the thing. Is like the first hour and a half, nothing really happens. It just goes down like very almost imperceptibly <laughs> but i watched the whole thing and were you just like sitting there fully attentive as it just sat there on the ocean i was i was sitting there like with my arms crossed just just watching it and <laughs> it probably would have been better if i was like in the back row but no, there were people behind me who could see my computer screen someone was like sophia what are you watching and i said that's cji rendering of the titanic sinking in real time <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> the truman show we have a little bit of background on the truman show that i will i will jump into so the truman show is a 1998 film by peter weir who you might that's weird <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. How long have you had that in your back pocket? Or was I that just the... I just came up with it. I didn't know his name. Oh, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Weir. You might know him from Dead Poets Society. He directed that movie. Oh, that's a good. Movie. And uh, a couple others from like the '90s and 2000s. He's he's a very good director. But this movie, it didn't initially start with Peter Weir. It actually started with the screenwriter Andrew Nichol who uh, wrote a treatment for the script in 91. And a treatment is basically a short, like, 10-ish page pitch for the script, where if you're an established writer, you give a treatment to a production company and say, this is my idea, I think it's good. If you want to buy it from me, here's 10 pages to get the idea. Hmm. Andrew Nichol wrote this treatment, and people were interested pretty immediately. It's a pretty eye-catching concept, basically. It's a very creative movie. It's a very, very creative movie. And uh, Scott Rudin, who is a very, very famous producer, he purchased the script for a million dollars, which is uh, very lucrative for a script deal. I don't, this is a very stupid thought. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking how whenever anyone says $1 million or $1 billion, it just sounds like a fake amount of money. Like $1.2 million, I would believe. But if someone says for $1 million, <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't sound like a a number that ever happens in real life. Anyways. Or, or someone's like, oh, I wish for a million dollars. It why, just why sounds like a for, throwaway number. Why would you wish for a million dollars? Like of, of all things to wish for if you had a genie, like $1 million is for a six-figure person's household. Chandler wishes for a million dollars in the first episode of Friends. Be like a billion dollars. Be bold. And I wish I had a million dollars. <laughs> Great impression. 
Chandler Bing. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, we're, we're not quite as on topic today as we have been. <laughs> so Paramount Pictures was the one who initially agreed to distribute. And so they wanted to get a really top of the line director to make it. I think they thought of this as like their tentpole movie of the year or the summer or whatever. They went through several different directors. The first director who was attached to it was Brian De Palma, which if you know anything about Brian De Palma is bizarre. He like he directed Scarface and a lot of like action fueled. Whoa, that was a big bolt of lightning. Oh my gosh. There's there's like an electrical storm going on in Los Angeles right now. Yeah, we're sitting kind of on the side of a hill and we get to see all the lightning crashing down. That was cool. <laughs> Brian De Palma is a very interesting director because he's a lot of his movies were kind of action and drug filled rage movies in a way. It's very huh. interesting. He he's he Maybe was a that's very that's why I've never seen any of them. Yeah, no, none of them are, are really up your alley, I don't think. But he cool, was cool, cool. he was kind of in the circle with Scorsese and Lucas and Spielberg. And it's actually pretty fascinating. Okay. De Palma was one of the first three people to ever watch Star Wars and he made fun of George relentlessly for it. Uh, because the first cut was notoriously very not great. And he, after the movie finished, laughed at the movie so hard that George Lucas's now ex-wife, Marsha, came up to him and told him to stop laughing at the movie and instead to be constructive. And she kind of got in his case and he was like, fine, fine, fine. And he worked with George and wrote, he he pitched the idea for, if you want to create this whole new world, you have to cue the audience into what it's all about. So you should open the movie with a title crawl sequence to tell the audience about the world. Oh. That was his idea and he helped George write it. Neat. And so okay. that's Brian De Palma, a little fact about him. George showed a bunch of us Star Wars for the first time and there were no effects in yet. It was just World War II black and white stock footage intercut with blue screen production color footage and then showed that movie to us, expecting us to be able to see the movie. But George said, well, I think it's going to be a disaster. He was very depressed. And we all went to a Chinese restaurant after the film was over. And Brian stood up and started to gashry about, what's going on around here? I don't understand the story. Who are these people? Who's the hairy guy? Where do they come from? Where's the context? Where's the backstory? It's driving me crazy. Brian went off off on George. And George just sat there. He turned red. George, I think, wanted to kill him. But out of all that, something great came. Brian basically said, you need like an old-fashioned movie to start the picture with a forward. And all these words come on the screen, and they travel up the screen, and the forward tells you what the hell you're looking at and why you're in the theater and what the mythology is. Tell us what this world is, and then we can enjoy the picture. And that was the birth of the famous prologue. But it went through. (laughs) It went through a lot of the directors, including Tim Burton was one of them who was considered uh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, you know, I I can see him. Yeah, it does kind of have his weird weird touch on it. Yeah, his weird touch on it. That's my joke. I'm sorry. Uh, And also Sam Raimi who uh, directed Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire, and Terry Gilliam of Monty Python fame. And yes. just a lot of people, even Spielberg, was considered to mm. direct the film. And you can actually, I can picture this as a Spielberg movie. Yeah, I can too. But eventually it was Peter Weir who was the one who was eventually attached to the project That's and weird. went through it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't do that again. <laughs> Great joke, Sophia. 
Thanks. <laughs> so Jim Carrey stars in the movie. He does a great job. Great he really does. And he was apparently the person that Peter Weir thought of to star in the movie and insisted. At the time, however, Jim Carrey was attached to both the cable guy and Liar Liar and was not able to do it. And so they delayed production entirely just so Jim Carrey could star in the movie rather than recast him. Uh, that kind of reminds me. Uh, I think it was with Mary Poppins. Walt Disney had Julie Andrews in mind for the role right off the bat. And apparently he came up to her at some, I don't know, some some ceremony or public function and, and kind of gave her the plan, asked if she would be on board. And she was pregnant at the time. And so she said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm going to be occupied for a little while. <laughs> and he said, oh, that's OK. We'll wait. <laughs> it's kind of a power move. I know. Oh, no, no, you do your thing. We'll still be here. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, good for Julie Andrews, too. I mean, Walt frickin' Disney waits for you specifically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's something not many people can claim. I know. The movie itself, of course, being about this this man living in a TV show and his fictionalized world around him, the movie takes place... Do you remember the name of the town? Sea Haven. Sea Haven. Yeah, and so it's supposed to be this Seems really... Seems like a very nice place to live, not gonna lie. Yeah, it's supposed to be this like idyllic small town atmosphere, like kind of suburban... Coastal small yeah, town. Yeah, coastal small Makes town. Makes a difference. And they were scouting locations, specifically in eastern Florida for the movie, and they came across, or well, specifically Peter Weir's wife came across a little town called Seaside in Florida. When Peter Weir saw it, he was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the place where we have to film the movie. It's just so perfect. So that's where they shot the movie. A majority of the movie was in Seaside, Florida. And yeah, just to uh, to touch real quick on, on what I mentioned before, the Truman Syndrome is what they called it, or the they also called it the Truman Show Delusion. Yeah, tons of people mentioned the film in therapy specifically. Imagine making a movie and then causing psychological distress to generations. Yeah, there's actually an article in The New Yorker that I read uh, from 2013. It's late as 2013. Mm. About someone who who had this kind of Truman Show delusion for over two years. Oh my gosh. And just for the entire time thought that they were in a TV show because they saw this movie. Wow. So I guess going to, if you're going to watch the movie, maybe go in with caution. It's fake. You're probably not living in a TV show. Why'd you say probably? Because I, I can't be for sure, you know, <laughs> you might be. I don't, <laughs> I don't think you can watch this movie without having just half a second at least. Of, wait, what if? <laughs> yeah, like, I it's was... It's very convincing. I woke up the other day, and all my roommates were gone, and I was just, like, making myself some fried eggs for breakfast, and I was kind of just, like, doing my thing, humming to myself, making eggs, and I was like, what if someone's watching me right now? That's a little bit of background on, on the movie itself. Peter Weir is a director. He was also knighted into, like, the Australian Royal Guard or whatever. Ooh. Uh, for his contributions via film and theater. So, kind of interesting there. Is he Australian? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that would be kind of <laughs> weird if he... <laughs> kind of weird if he wasn't. That would be kind of... <laughs> 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 be a little... <laughs> 
I said I wouldn't make that joke again. <laughs> you can't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was one of those directors in like the 90s that was did a lot of stuff, a lot of very successful stuff. And so, yeah, so that's a little bit of background. I don't know if you want to jump into the plot at all. Let's jump into a summary. We open with supposedly interviews with the cast and crew of The Truman Show. And so this was actually something that surprised me because I knew very little about this movie, but I I knew kind of the brief like Guy's Life is a TV show. Mm -hmm. And I I suppose my expectation for how the movie was going to go would be that we would be getting everything from Truman's perspective and we sort of figure out what's going on at the same time that he figures out what's going on. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So yeah. so we follow him. But instead, it's like we ourselves are watching the show and we know the situation right off the bat. You know, the, the very first scenes are like, this is the Truman Show. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it opens with, with an interview from... Christoph, who's the show's creator and executive producer, and and he is seen throughout the movie sort of manning the controls in in the back room, and and he's just in charge of everything. He makes all the final decisions. And and don't they say something like, oh, Truman has no idea, he is completely happy, or he's completely safe, something like that. Yeah, something like that. They they emphasize how, like, Truman is, is happy, and there's, like, nothing wrong with what they're doing quite a bit. Which, of course, leads you to the conclusion that there's probably something wrong with what they're doing. If someone has to tell you multiple times that there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. <laughs> well, It's maybe a fair assumption <laughs> <laughs> that there's something wrong with what they're doing. Yeah, so then, then we go to Truman. And he wakes up, starts his day. And it's, it's just very... Yeah, he's a very happy-go-lucky guy. He's got a very idyllic life. He like steps out of his <laughs> out of his house and he sees the neighboring family and he's like, "Good morning." And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And he has his <laughs> wonderful Jim Carrey smile. Yeah, that that's on like most of the posters for it. Oh, yeah. It's just a picture of his face. It's become pretty iconic that mm-hmm. image at this point. Yeah. So again, the interesting thing is from the get go, you as the viewer are sort of led into the secret of how this is all orchestrated. You know, you you see a scene in the Truman show just a few seconds before Truman gets there. So everyone's getting to their places and then they get set in motion and and then they're walking around like it's their pedestrians on a on a busy day it's really interesting to watch when they're like getting set up for the day where they're all frozen in position like crossing the street or whatever Mm -hmm. until the moment that he wakes up and then everything kicks off into motion it's a little like unnerving in the beginning of the movie you're just you know kind of following truman throughout his life for a little bit and and seeing what it's all about and you learn that uh, his town of sea haven is an island underneath this big weather-controlled dome. there There's different measures put in place to prevent him from ever wanting to leave, such as you, you see flashbacks to his father in the show getting killed off in a boating accident uh, to make Truman afraid of water. So you, you get things like that where, where the 
shows creator uh, or, or writer, I suppose, is, is even manufacturing these events purposely to cause trauma to inform decisions that he hopes Truman will make later on because, you know, he can he can manufacture the entire world. But I suppose the appeal of it for the people in the movie who are watching the show is that, you know, everything Truman does and all of his reactions to his life are completely organic. Speaking of the people watching the show, it's it's kind of interesting. We stick with like four or five different sets of people who are watching the show throughout the movie. Yeah. And we keep cutting back to them throughout the film watching the show. And they all have their own little arcs. They don't they don't ever leave their room. Like one guy's in the bathtub watching right. watching the I show from the bathtub. Him. And then like there's a group of people in a restaurant watching on like a restaurant TV. There's two there's two women in like their nineties. Yeah. And they have like Truman's face like crocheted on a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's little things like that. We stick with them, but it's it's kind of interesting that they all have their own individual little arcs throughout the film mm-hmm. that they go through. And by the end, all those people are rooting for him as like a person rather than following him as a character. It's it's interesting. But we'll get there. Yeah, and so part of this reality this this fake reality is Truman's wife, Meryl, who is a really interesting character. She's a lot of fun. And, you know, she's very, I don't know, she's your she's your quintessential housewife. <laughs> and apparently this this actress like studied a lot of Sears catalogs from the 50s to get her poses down. She's played by Laura Linney. And a little quick fast fact about Laura Linney is I worked with Laura Linney before. Oh. And she's a very nice person. That's all I have to say. But she was extremely kind to me when I worked with her. Oh, that's, that's all awesome. I have to say. <laughs> Thanks, Laura. But yeah, apparently her her role in the show is product placement. <laughs> so you you see a lot of fun <laughs> clips where she'll be talking talking with Truman and she's like, "Oh, by the way, Truman, why don't you try some of this new cocoa that I bought today?" <laughs> Like healthy and delicious, organically sourced. <laughs> it's it's such an undying joke because it just it's only gotten funnier since that movie came out. Yeah, especially nowadays with like YouTube and podcast sponsors. Which, if you're interested, contact us at offthewatchlist at gmail dot com. Sponsor us. Sponsor us, yes, please. But with every YouTube channel sponsored by Squarespace or Grubhub or whatever. Why is, is every podcast sponsored by Squarespace? I assume it's probably pretty lucrative for Squarespace. Squarespace, Squarespace please sponsor, sponsor us. us. But it's just like even more funny now. Yeah. Listening to all these all these little gags about <laughs> Truman, wake up. Check out this new shaving cream that I got at the supermarket. <laughs> it's smooth and it will leave you cutless on your face. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's it. I really enjoyed that bit throughout the <laughs> throughout the movie. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, uh, and she's a nurse, I believe, at at like the nursing the, quotation marks. Yes, yes. Oh, also right. wife in quotation marks because I mean, none of them are actually what they say they are. Yes, exactly. So we have Meryl, but you also see flashbacks from Truman's perspective of a girl he met in college and fell in love with, and her name. In the show, this is this is several layers. <laughs> she is played by Natasha McElhone. I hope I'm saying that right. And her character's name in the movie is Sylvia. But Sylvia on the show 
plays a character named Laura. <laughs> so she is introduced to Truman as Laura. Um, Not to be confused with Laura Linney, who plays Meryl okay, okay, on the show. Okay, okay, stop that. Uh, <laughs> but Meryl's probably not actually her real name. Yeah, so so Laura is a college student with Truman at on the season of the show where Truman is in college. The one where Truman goes to college. <laughs> <laughs> and she breaks character because Truman takes an interest in her and he's not supposed to because I think at this point they had already planned out for him to marry Meryl and so they have like a scene in the library where where he sees her and he tries to to start a conversation with her and, and she's like I'm not supposed to talk to you uh, but she tells him her real name and she sneaks off to meet up with him to like go on a date and so she's breaking protocol by interacting with him outside of what she's scripted to do and she gets caught gets written off the show like an actor pulls up and he's like oh i'm i'm lauren's dad and you know she's she has these episodes like she can't be trusted da, 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 da. sorry we gotta go and, and like pulls her into the car and drives vroom, away vroom. <laughs> vroom, vroom. and i think he said like, oh we're moving to fiji you gotta go <laughs> <laughs> but sylvia tries to tell truman what's up and and is is very frantically yelling like oh it's all it's all a show it's all fake they're all watching you and so she plants he doesn't really know what to make of that at the time. I mean, understandably so. But she is the first person to to plant those seeds in his mind, even though he doesn't do much with them for a while. But that also gives him this desire to travel to Fiji because he thinks that's where Laura Sylvia is. And so that's set up early on as a conflict between the real Truman and what the writers want him to be is, is he has mm. this desire to get out and to, to go to Fiji where the very existence of the show depends on him staying where he is in the same town. And, and so they, you know, there's lots of marketing about how dangerous it is to travel and just stay home. It'll be nicer. It's very, <laughs> very yeah. quarantine-esque. He'll talk to, to, you know, his friend or his wife about going to Fiji and they're always like, but why would you want to go to Fiji when it's so perfect here? Uh, so that that's set up early on as, you know, the, the writers having to fight against Truman's human nature. Yeah, free will. <laughs> yeah, can't have that. So the other notable character we need to address is, well, his name is Marlon. His, his Truman, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, it's yeah, Marlon. It's Marlon. <laughs> Nemo. Uh... That was a really funny joke I just came up with. Hey. <laughs> and he is Truman's childhood best friend. He's actually one of the people that Christoph, is that his name? Yeah. That Christoph uses the most to try and keep him in line. Yeah, he has a way of just, you know, showing up with a couple cans of beer when <laughs> when Truman's getting ready to leave the house or go, go off and try something that the writers don't want him to do. Yeah. So I think the catalyst for Truman beginning to unravel all these things is one day as he's driving to work, I think the radio on his car like flips out or something and he he's trying to, to fiddle with it and adjust it and he accidentally taps into the, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Like the communication signal maybe between the... Um yeah, between the the directors and the cast. So he hears 
like, oh, car, like, <laughs> car one, ready, and, and then, like, the car, like, drives past him, or... It's incredibly scripted, where Yeah, it's or, like, like, woman on bike, passing by, and, and then the woman on bike, bikes by. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to watch, because mm-hmm. he's driving down the street, and they're like, all right, semi-truck, and the semi-truck pulls by, and Truman's mm-hmm. like, what is going on? He's like, oh. <laughs> he, he just kind of takes this, and he's like, that was weird, but he doesn't really do anything with it right there. But then he begins seeing other, just, he, he just begins noticing little blips in the system the next thing that happens right is is truman's father not his not the actual father of truman himself but his father on the show who was written out in that boating accident that actor sneaks back onto set he's just recast oh really yeah i think what happened is they just used the same actor in another role on accident and like it's it's kind of like a gag mm. or like it's a blooper on their part part i guess and I think that's what happens. And Truman sees him. He's like, wait a sec. That's my dad, who is this random beggar on the street. He He's not there to make communication with Truman. We can leave that in, right? Probably. Thunder. Boom. He's not there to make communication with Truman. He's It's purely self-motivated. He just wants to like get more credits on his resume, gotcha. his IMDb page. And so he shows up. Uh, and Truman notices and it's like, wait, it's like, you're my dad that died in a storm. Dad? And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> and then, you know, immediately these two people who are just crossing the street, like, turn around and they both come and grab him by the arms and, like, pull him out of the way. And then these other people come up and and grab the dad and, like, hustle him onto a bus. And, and Truman's trying to race after them. But, like, oh, this biker trips and, and or, or, like, a, a crowd of bikers, like, all come through at once and, and hit him. And then this other guy, like, crashes right in front of him. And he, uh, yeah, so it's it's this very clearly manufactured keep Truman from getting to this guy. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Spoilers for, I guess, season two and three of of Sherlock. But uh, <gasps> it kind of reminds me of that sequence oh. in Sherlock where I'm blanking on the police officer's name, but he's like throwing together this story of how Sherlock um, survived his fake death. And he's like, he had Anderson. the biker. Yeah, Anderson. Anderson. He's like, he had the biker drive up and run into John at just the right moment. And then the whole crowd came around and like the magician came by and the hypnotist like like wiped his memory briefly and like oh you know, it kind of reminds me of that and then like, Lestrade's like do you honestly expect me to believe that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind of reminds I wonder if I wonder if it got some of that from the Truman Show but you know yeah I didn't even make that connection but it does definitely feel like that but anyway so so Truman's starting to get suspicious now and I think one day if I'm remembering the order of events correctly. One day, Meryl comes home from work, and normally Truman is gardening outside, and and that's just his daily routine, and he's not there. And so she finds him sitting in the car, <laughs> and he's like, shh, and looking in the rearview mirror, and he's like, okay, there's going to be a person on a red bicycle in three, two, one, and then the person comes by, and then... Lady walking with flowers in three, two, one. The lady walks by. He's like, blue car. They're in and just like knows the order. They're they're just like on a loop. These these three or four people going down the street. And and so he he figures it out and sees the pattern, which 
When I saw this, I thought, well, that's kind of irresponsible of them. Like, they should mix it up a little bit. Yeah, they should have a bit more, <laughs> like, unique material to go through after 30 years. <laughs> yes. This kind of begins his, like, process of deciphering that the world is fake. Quick fast fact is actually a bit of a change in the original draft of the script because the script went through a ton of rewrites, mm. like like 16 full script rewrites, I think. Wasn't that because Jim Carrey's contract let him demand rewrites? <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't researched that. But I do know that the initial script was way darker because mm. the uh, the premise for this movie like has a very easy dark spin to it if you wanted to. Yeah. And... The initial initial script, his kind of deterioration into insanity as he tries to decipher the world around him as fake, is like like pointed by a lot of more dark actions on his point. Like he threatens to kill someone and mm-hmm. like all these different things in the original script. I think he like threatens to harm a child at one point. Oh, I don't like um, that. Because he thinks it's all fake and he's like trying to get people to confess that it is fake. And... uh and so he's like doing all the more and more dangerous things in an attempt to get people to confess. And so that's one of the major changes from the initial script to the new one to make the movie more family friendly, I suppose. Gotcha. But yeah, so he he pulls Meryl into the car and she's like, oh, you're being ridiculous, Truman. And then he locks the car and he's like, let's go on a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Carrey doing his Jim Carrey thing. Yeah. And and she's freaking out a little bit, but he he... I think he figures out he's at a point where he has figured out he is not supposed to be spontaneous. And so he's like, let's just see what happens if we can leave Sea Haven. And and so and he tries to start driving and and Meryl's, you know, freaking out and and they're they're driving and they get they hit this series of, you know, increasingly improbable obstacles and preventing them from going any further. I think the last one, I don't, I don't remember what the first couple ones are, but the last one is like, Oh, sorry. Like we can't let you out of the car. There's been like a a nuclear (laughs) disaster. (laughs) (laughs) We can't let you, you go over this, this pass because yeah, like hazardous materials. Yeah. Yeah. They end up being forced back to their house. And and of course Truman is like, Hmm. Very soon after, you know, he he tries sneaking into the hospital where Meryl works, uh, realizes that, you know, she's not actually (laughs) performing a surgery. She's they're just like setting up the scene and Mm -hmm. um, and she doesn't actually know how to do anything. And, and, And then they're at home and they have an argument where he's really trying hard to get her to to confess. And I think, oh, I think he is looking at photo albums oh my gosh and notices that in her in their wedding portrait she has her fingers crossed yeah this was one of those moments when i saw it when i was eight years old it was one of the images that really stuck with me mm-hmm. for some reason whenever i thought of this movie after that i would think of that moment where he looks at the picture and like they're they're sharing their wedding kiss or whatever and her fingers are crossed and mm-hmm. i was like that's so sad why why would she cross her finger i think that's what made me think or or what made me start to consider you know how kind of psychologically scarring it would also be to be an actor in this show yeah like if you're Meryl you have to have you're signing up to have a whole marriage talk about method acting <laughs> yeah but I mean 
you're signing up to have a fake life, but you have to live in that to such an extent that it becomes your actual life. But it's also it's yeah, yeah. weird. Lots of layers to to dissect with this movie. There's a, there's a lot of kind of those smaller visual moments of him discovering the world is fake. Like he goes to, I think it's the bank at one point, and like the wall is open and there's like a camera crew and lights behind it and they like it's there's like the craft the, services behind yeah, it. <laughs> it's, it's craft services. And it's like the elevator. And they're like, oh, it's behind the elevator doors mm-hmm. and like they quickly close the doors and he's like trying to get. He's like, what's going on? And the the security has to throw him out. But it's like little bits like that which are just so fun. When yeah. you're like looking at it, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So he he ends up having this huge argument with Meryl where he's just putting all kinds of pressure on her to to admit that it's all fake. And there's a, there's one of those funny bits and she's like, calm down, have some cocoa organically sourced. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I think he ends up holding her at knife point and she He's acting under- all crazy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he he has gone off the rails and, and she understandably breaks and looks directly at the camera and yells, someone help or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Like she's very clearly speaking to someone and Truman clocks this. And I think at, it's at this point that Marlon comes over with some beer and is like, hey, buddy, <laughs> <laughs> <You wanna laughs> just wanted to stop by. Uh, and then they write Meryl off the show as a um, in in play it as a divorce and i think it's also at this point that they decide since truman already saw his quote-unquote father to reintroduce him to the show and say oh he got he survived but he had amnesia but he's back now (laughs) and um and so there you know there's a series of explosive incidents um that kind of really shake truman up and and they're just trying to pick up the pieces and and write explanations for them and 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 smooth things over because you know they they need the show to keep going and for a while truman seems to settle back into it and and they're you know, kind of thinking they're past the worst of it. He seems to be buying everything that they're selling. The show's ratings spike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the one thing is he is sleeping in the basement, which they don't think much of. But one night they, I forget who notices it, but they just, they notice that he is gone. Yeah. I think what happens is Trumi. <laughs> Trumi. <laughs> <laughs> Trumi. <laughs> <laughs> I think what happens is uh, Truman makes a dummy of himself. <laughs> he makes a Trumi of himself. And, Truman uh, makes a dummy of himself. <laughs> <laughs> and he puts it in his bed in the basement. Oh no, we've gotten to that point of the night, huh? Yes. <laughs> and uh, he puts it in the basement, and like day rolls around, and he doesn't get up. And Kristoff is like, "What's going on?" And he sends uh, Marlin down there to investigate and Merlin shows up and like picks up the dummy and looks at the camera and is like, he's not here. This is like Frank Morris, John England and Clarence England brothers. Um, the guys who escaped from Alcatraz yeah. by doing like the same thing. Uh, and if you go to Alcatraz, they still have like the fake heads that they, they made for themselves. They like stole hair from the barbershop wild, but actually fun fact, <laughs> I know way more about Alcatraz than any person should. Or the Titanic or Bonnie and Clyde. Or the Donner Party. Yeah. Yeah, those three 
so Alcatraz is very famous and like kind of prided itself in a weird way on never having any quote successful escape attempts. Um, and mm. everybody who attempted to escape from Alcatraz was either caught or confirmed dead because it's a very hostile environment, except for these three guys. Mm-hmm. And they're the only three who might have made it. I think there's at least one of them that I think it might be Frank Morris that they confirmed did die. Yeah, the other two, yeah, they like they probably they probably didn't make it, but there's a chance that they did. So that's that's just very interesting to me. And anyway, we can continue. That's that's how Truman escapes as well. He digs a hole out through his basement and and makes a replica of himself. Yeah, but him escaping causes one very very crucial and uh, never seen before thing to happen to the show, which is it stops. Yeah, but I think the interesting thing is at this point in time, you know, and especially watching Truman kind of realize what's going on. There's a sizable segment of the population who begins rooting for him to make it out. I don't think they feel strongly enough about it to, you know, stop watching <laughs> or Strike. contact the the authorities. There there are protesters. Sylvia is one of them, leading like a free Truman campaign. But the the majority of of the viewers, I think, are are kind of of this mindset, like, oh yeah, it'd be nice if he escapes, but. We'll just keep watching until then. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just like a mindless consumer ideology, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so even though you've seen the inner workings of the TV show throughout the whole movie, it's at this point that you realize just how much control Kristoff especially has over Truman's life because they realize he's missing and Kristoff immediately says, cue the sun. And so they make it daytime like they they make the sun rise in this weather controlled dome and and so it, as far as Truman's concerned it's day and uh they find him he's sailing on a boat he also asks all the extras to start looking for him and so they like they all break protocol and start right. looking around yeah and they're all like linking arms and and walking forward and like, <laughs> like company becomes, front <laughs> it was like a dictatorship state all of a sudden where everyone's yeah. like Everyone's looking at every nook and cranny for Truman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they see him. Oh, and we forgot to mention this part. But um, as he's sailing away on the boat, which is significant because, again, he has that fear of water. He pulls out of his pocket. He has this, like, collage that he's made where throughout the movie you see you see him kind of rifling through magazines or whenever he, is, he sees a flyer with a picture of a woman. Um, he's kind of collected these bits and pieces from different... Uh, from different photographs to compile like a, a makeshift image of Sylvia. Um, something that he, and at one point you see, you see him pull it out and, you know, he's found a better set of eyes that look more like her than the ones he had before. So he like tears them out and puts on this new set of eyes and, and he's just trying to like make this picture of her, which is really sad. But he pulls, he pulls that out and is kind of like, okay, I'm sailing to Fiji. <laughs> and naturally Sylvia sees it from, from. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so Kristoff, uh, uh, as soon as they locate him, Kristoff, like starts getting the weather controls and he makes this big storm. And uh, again, with Truman's fear of water, this is like a, a massive deal for him. <laughs> and and it's this ridiculous storm. And I think there's, there's one other like weather operator. Is he ever given a name? I don't remember. Yeah. There, there's this one other crew member who, who 
like is at the control panels in the back room and you see him a couple times throughout the movie but he is the one actually pushing the buttons when Kristoff tells him to and this guy plays an interesting straight man at the end where Kristoff is is like telling him to to crank up the wind and and it's like going to unsafe speeds and and to increase the wave size and and you can see this guy realizing that you know oh either we're going to kill him yeah yeah we're we're going to kill him or like make him do some like make a really terrible decision and i think at one point he Kristoff gives him an order and he says no but then he does it like 30 seconds later. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, it's that like working guy. working against better conscience. Yeah. Conscience. <laughs> conscience. Oops. Your dad's an English teacher. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, so he's just manufacturing this huge storm and Truman is just not quitting. And I think he like starts yelling at the sky too because he, he realizes that someone's. He's like, do your worst. Yeah, do your worst. Is that all you got? And eventually, Kristoff, I don't know why. I don't I don't think he has like a change of heart or or listens to his conscience. <laughs> um, but he he eventually relents and and makes the storm stop. I think he sees that it's Truman's not gonna give up. Mm-hmm. And they can keep doing this, but it's just gonna kill Truman. And so what's the point? If they're just trying to stop Truman, like killing him is not gonna fix that. And so yeah. they're going to try another tactic, which they try right now. And I will say, I really liked this movie at this particular, well, in general, but at this particular point, because I legitimately did not know how it was going to end when they had this storm God, scene. so great. I, you know, I, I felt, there's a lot of movies where even at the point of highest tension or highest conflict, like, you, you know how it's going to end. <laughs> but at this point... You know, I I legitimately was not sure. You know, they could have they could have made him die. They could have made him turn around, or they could have had him make it out. And and any one of those would have made like a a good like poetic is the only word I'm thinking of ending. Yeah, like this, if he like agreed, a, a like, good cinematic ending. <laughs> yeah, if he agreed that like, you know what, I'm bringing joy to a lot of people by living this life. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna live it the right way. So mm-hmm. I think that would be an ending, sure. Or he could escape and he could go run off to Fiji and meet Sylvie or Sylvia or wherever she really is. She's not in Fiji, but mm-hmm. he could go meet her and they could fall in love and that could be the end or or he could die and it could be a sad ending. But yeah, yeah totally. I, I thought I thought him dying was probably the most likely option. Mm, interesting. And I was like, that would be a sad movie. I but. have a I have a theory with movies. This is, I would I would consider this as a high concept movie. And a high concept movie is basically just a film that that operates under such a like almost crazy world that it's very disconnected from reality mm. and like star wars is a high concept movie for example gotcha. and often they have big budgets and all that kind of stuff like avengers is a high concept movie mm. but i would consider this a high concept movie and for me one of the things that really separates high concept movies as great or really movies in general is how they execute the last 10 minutes of the film. Interesting. And I mean, that's that's a reason why I think La La Land, compared to so many romance movies, is such a great one. Uh, because outside of the music and outside of the filmmaking, which is all incredible, mm-hmm. the last 10 minutes of that film are just like so, not only unexpected, but powerful in their execution. 
And Truman Show is a lot like that, where these last 10 minutes of the film, not only do you not know what's going to happen, but what actually does happen is just so perfect. Mm -hmm. Truman keeps sailing and he sails until his boat hits the wall of the dome. Oh, yeah, I love the um, art design of that dome wall. Because when he gets there, mm-hmm. it's just like it's like a child painted the skyline. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's just like like a mural of the sky. Yeah, and it's it's great when he gets there because like the Toy Story wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> it is because he his like boat rams into it and you don't expect it. It's, it's an optical illusion, uh-huh. but he runs into it and you're like, oh my gosh, it just looks like a painting. <laughs> yeah, and you just know like some. They hired somebody to paint the sky, and they're like, well, I can't really paint really well. And they're like, ah, it's all right. He's never going to see it up close. Yeah. (laughs) But so he hits the wall and then sees a staircase leading up the side of the dome to a like a a concealed doorway at the top. So he he starts going up the staircase. And at this point, Kristoff takes like the intercom. And starts speaking to Truman from the sky and basically like squares with him and tells him the truth, doesn't he? And and, mm-hmm. and kind of tells him what's what's happening, tells him that he, you know, he's been living in this world since he was born. It's a great moment. Oh, yeah. And side note, Truman is the first child to be legally adopted by a corporation. <laughs> like, I think he was he was specifically chosen before he was born and then legally adopted by the network um, so that they they have control over his life. And also it's revealed that Kristoff and his crew, they're like in the moon slash sun. Like that's where their headquarters is. Like mm-hmm. the sun of the world is actually this like big complex that they mm-hmm. are in. And so they speak from the sun down to Truman it's almost like God speaking yeah Um, and it's kind of funny because Truman's like what is happening yeah yeah and so Kristoff tells him the truth but then also tries to convince him to stay and tells him you know like oh millions of people love you and you bring happiness to so many people and tells him very like Sebastian from the Little Mermaid is like the human (laughs) world is a mess and uh and that the real world is no less artificial than this one and that at least he's safe here and at least he he doesn't have to be afraid of anything. And and this is another moment where you like Kristoff is very convincing and you genuine genuinely don't know for certain what Truman's gonna choose. And, and I, he thinks about it. He thinks about it, he does. But then I think the best ending for the movie is he finishes climbing the staircase and turns around and the final shot of the Truman Show is, and if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. That's oh, so good. The payoff and, is so yeah. good. And he looks directly into the camera and then turns and walks through the doorway. The doorway, which is just blackness on the other side, by the yeah. way. Like, there's no world out there that we can see. He just, like, mm-hmm. goes into this void, which is symbolic in a way for the character as well. Where mm-hmm. it's like, the world means nothing to Truman. And yeah. he's got to figure out what it is. Yeah. But, yeah, you're just saying that line made like the hair on the back of my neck stand up because it's such a good payoff mm-hmm. of the beginning of the film like as Truman's catchphrase for the show and that's how he ends it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so good. Yeah, and I think I think it's interesting for his character in that moment too because he, you know, instead of being really upset and like hurt at all this, he for that moment, he just kind of plays into it a little bit. 
He's like, oh, I'm the main character. <laughs> You're watching me. Uh, and during during this scene of Kristoff speaking to him before he he leaves the dome, you see clips of those, you know, four different rooms of people watching and they're all kind of rooting for him to like, like get out, get out, go Truman, go Truman. And you also see Sylvia like staring at the TV and then like grabbing her sweater and running out. And the, the implication is that she's running to go meet him at the studio or, or wherever the dome is. And he leaves and credits and roll credits for the first time ever in the Truman show. <laughs> yeah. That's it's both the end of the Truman show and the end of the movie. And I, I love that. I love how it doesn't end with him walking out of the dome and seeing Sylvia and they embrace and they kiss. And then the movie ends. Like, yeah. It really all... continues that sense of you are, you are watching the Truman show as a viewer in this world. Yeah. And it like, it leaves you with a, a moral dilemma and also not like a cliffhanger or room for a sequel, but like, it's not our place to know what happens to Truman now. Mm -hmm. Like that's his responsibility and that's his yeah. life. And so like, why should we have, why should we get to know why, why should we have the privilege of knowing what happens to, tr to Truman? Because he's gone now. Mm -hmm. And that is just so, so good. So brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I liked this movie a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm glad they didn't make it as dark as they could have and as dark as they considered making it. Me too. Because it feels like a very fun movie. And at times it feels very lighthearted. And, you know, visually it's very appealing. It's it's, And it seems on the surface like a pretty family-friendly movie, as I'm sure like your, <laughs> your family apparently thought. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it's it's fun to watch, which I really appreciated. I mean, I think some of these like serious thinker films are, are not always, you know, the most entertaining to watch. But this one, I like I, I would like to watch this again. I, I had a really good time, but it makes you sit and contemplate your entire existence or lack <laughs> thereof. And <laughs> I, I think that's that's such a great combination. And I, I definitely see why this is a classic and, and as highly regarded as it is because I, I yeah. had heard it, you know, tossed around on, you know, best movie lists or movies to see before you die. And, and I, I think it deserves that. Yeah. Well, that's the Truman show. That's I, the Truman show. Hmm. I'm trying to, <laughs> Hmm. We're on episode like seven and I'm, I'm trying to think back to all the movies I've watched for this one. I think this is probably one of my favorites that I've watched so far. It's a really good one. It's a good one. Yeah. And I, I'm going to put it on my list to watch again because I, I do think it is worth rewatching and will be enjoyable to rewatch. And the more times you rewatch, the more little things you notice about the world that are really oh, fun. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you are living in a simulation and you would like to tell us about it, <laughs> please contact us. Hey, I was going to make that transition, but better. Okay, you do it better. If you are living in a simulation and would like to contact us, <laughs> Good please joke. send us an email at offthewatchlist at gmail.com. <laughs> we are also on Instagram. We're on Instagram, Sophia. At offthewatchlistpod. Yeah, there you go. I think that's about it. That's it. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 